So welcome to episode four of How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. Today we are talking about how to record with or without a budget. I'm your host, author, Emily White. And before we bring out our esteemed guest, Anna Ochoa, um, I just want to review a few things and also share some information from Beat Bread, who is our partner on this episode. Beatbread is a pioneering music and finance company that empowers artists to take control of their careers without giving away ownership of their music or their decision-making power. Beatbread brings together a team with deep experience in music, finance, AI, and machine learning to create new opportunities for artists. They provide independent and unsigned artists with financial advances that are repaid through a limited share of revenues from streaming and airplay over a period of your choosing, the artist's choosing or the rights holder's choosing, while you also maintain ownership of your underlying IP, your intellectual property. So get funding, stay in control with Beat Bread, and just, you know, hopefully that made sense. But basically, you know, if you have enough streams, you can qualify for funding from Beatbread. And what they are doing is, you know, if you get X amount of money per month for streams, but you're like, you know what, I need to go on tour, I need to buy a vehicle, um, I'm looking to record an album, I want to fund promo, um, Beatbread can give you an advance on your streaming royalties. And they have a really cool, uh, I feel lame saying that, but a really cool website, but really cool technology. Uh, where you can type in your artist's name and decide on the terms and also determine how much funding you could get in advance. So I'm super excited about Beatbread. I don't work with any partner that I don't authentically endorse. So if you're looking for an upfront cash advance to help fund your music, definitely check them out. So, okay, we are on episode four, as I mentioned. Just to recap, we've co- covered getting your art together, getting to that place creatively where you're ready in your heart, your soul, and your spirit, getting ready to release your music, not mu- making music that you think other people will like or you think I will like. I mean, that that's just my opinion, but that's the music that really connects with people for the long term. We've discussed pre-recording marketing foundation, so making sure your text message club is in place, your email list is in place, and really monetizing your music before it's even out, you know, through a pre-order. Last week I talked about um, Noel Gallagher just announced his new album uh, right now in January, and his album's going to be out in June, and you can already pre-order that for a variety of tickets. I also just saw that Fallout Boy has a new album coming out um, in months, right? And you can also pre-order bundles you know, ranging from like $8 to $100. So um, these are very savvy artists and teams that are monetizing their music before it's even out. And I want you doing the same thing. And we also covered getting your business affairs together, basically getting uh, all the legalities around music together. We covered that with Carl Folks, uh, Esquire and entrepreneur. So if you want to check out any of these replays, they're all on volume, and then we'll be distributing these audio episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, We'll be distributing those starting in March of this year, of 2023. So the other thing I want you to keep in mind is before, before and while you hit the studio, keep 
engaging with your audience in mind? Because we also talked about in pre-recording Marketing Foundation, making sure you have your social media channels set up. I mean, most of you do. But if you're starting a new gra- new new group or band or project name, right? Like grab that Instagram handle. I would still grab that Facebook handle. If TikTok if TikTok calls to you, go for that. If Snapchat calls to you, go for that. If Twitter calls to you, go for that. In fact, we'll do a deeper dive on on social media and marketing in a few episodes, but grab the handles on all those platforms anyway. Even if Snapchat sounds like torture to you, um, you could at least post a link to your website um, so you have that official account and you're driving traffic to where your music and shows and all your official information is available. So assuming you have your social media handles in place, keep engagement in mind when you hit the studio. And I completely respect and understand wanting to create like a solitary space for yourself. Like I, if you need to do that, I totally get it. You know, when I wrote this book, I was on a rural Florida key thinking I wouldn't be bothered and there was still construction going on and iMessage on my computer and a butt dial from my dad, you know, so I totally get it. Um, so if engaging while you're recording sounds like, and look, like not to jump around too much, you don't necessarily want, need to be like, Instagram live from the vocal booth every two seconds, right? That's going to be really distracting to everyone. Um, But at the same time, even if it sounds like torture, snap a photo of the studio, snap a photo of the instruments, you know, share that, push that out as a teaser. I would link to your pre-order as well, if if you have one. Um, And, you know, to get people excited and interested so they know that new music is coming. And I said, if you have a pre-order, because... Uh, to reiterate, if you have a clear vision for your release, you know it's going to be a single, an EP, an album, a space opera, whatever, that's when I would say launch a pre-order. If you are hitting the studio, the home studio, and you don't have a clear vision for your release, launch a Patreon and let people know that you're recording, you want to bring them along for your journey, and that's where you can snap, you know, post a photo, as well as on your social media, driving traffic to your Patreon. But those are places you can post a photo or two of the studio to get your fans excited and let them know that something's coming. So one last thing on what we're going to talk about today. You know, when I'm talking about the modern music industry, I'm referring to the post-digital era. And that might be meaningless to all of you, but, you know, basically kind of before the year 2000, you would have to sign your rights away to a record company to be able to afford recording, you know? Basically, unless you were a one percenter, um, the cost of recording studios was so high, it was just impossible for anyone to do on their own. So th- there's two main things that have revolutionized the modern music industry. The first is recording, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, if you have access to a smartphone, you have access to a recording device. Um, If you can gain access to a laptop, you can start to record on your own. So even if you don't have a computer, is there a library, you know, that has one? Is there one at your school um, where you can use one? Is there a friend or family member where you can borrow a a computer? So that has completely revolutionized the music industry along with global distribution, which we're going to talk about more in episode six. Um, But let's get into it because we have a lot to cover today on how to record with or without a budget. Um, I'm going to talk for a moment about our amazing guest, Anna Ochoa. 
Ochoa. I'm, everyone says that my Midwestern accent only comes out when I try to speak Spanish, so just bear with me on some of this today. Um, but Anna, first, Anna came here all the way from South America. We are recording this in, in Milwaukee. She flew here from Colombia this week. So, um, yeah, I'm just so, so excited to have her here in person. So Anna Ochoa is an international singer-songwriter, music producer, multi-instrumentalist, and sound engineer from Colombia. She is a creator, music industry specialist, and musician whose life has always been rounded rounded out by music, sports, technology, and culture. Anna received her second degree, oh sorry, Anna studied sound engineering at Universidad de San Buenaventura in Bogota, Colombia, and received a second degree in contemporary music at EMAT, Berkeley's global, global partner in, am I saying Bogota wrong? I was just there. Saying it right? Okay, good. It's just there, so embarrassing. Uh, with voice as her first instrument. She then came to the US and completed her master's degree in entertainment business at Full Sail University. I am so excited to introduce Anna Ochoa. Welcome to Milwaukee. Welcome to the podcast. How are you feeling? Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> Good. A lot of travel this week. Yes. Well, thank you. It really means a lot to us. Well, thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So when did you begin playing music? Um, so everything started when I was very, very young. Um, so I first started with classical piano. And while I was like playing and doing sports, I, I was also always like asking people, hey, give me two words, give me three words. And I just started like creating songs with that. Um, and that's, that's how it started. However, like, even though my family is not, um, in the musical side, my grandma, she used to play the guitar and she used to sing. So I was like, kind of like between sports and music. And I was like, oh, I want to, I want to be like her. But, um, yeah, that's how it started. How old were you when you started playing classical piano? I was four or five. Oh yeah. That's, that's normal. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Amazing. Um, so a decade later, when you were a teenager, what led you to becoming a DJ? So while I was playing the piano, I, I started seeing like a lot of people um, working as a DJ and mixing stuff, creating remixes. And for me, that was, that was very interesting the way like they understood the music, the energy. Mm -hmm. So that's when I told my dad, I want to become a DJ. And I was 14 and... I was like, how can I do that? Because back in the day, you didn't have YouTube. So right mm -hmm. now, it's very easy. You can just go to on YouTube and you find so many tutorials. But uh, at that time, we had to find a professor. And it's funny because my dad is a dentist. So he, he had a patient that, who was a DJ. And he was the one that taught me. Well, and that's such a good reminder of something I've been talking about. Take advantage of the resources you have around you. Your parent dentist may know a professor, right? Like put it out on Facebook or I feel lame saying Facebook, but like put it out on social media, uh, you know, what you're looking for because you never know what's in, you know, what's, what's in your life already. So when did music production enter your life? So while I was studying how to become a DJ, um, one of the things that my professor taught me was energy lines. 
Um, and basically what that means is when you take a song, you start creating lines, you draw them um, as the way they make you feel. Mm-hmm. So if, you, if, they, if the music makes you feel excited, then the line is going to go up. And for me, that was interesting because every single time you had the song and you analyze it, you will find that there's different items. So the way that I use the instruments, the way that I use the rhythms or just the, the BPM, like the tempo, it's going to make you feel excited or nostalgic or it's going to make you feel sad. And that's when I found out the production was actually the, the area or was actually the part of the music that will make you become like create that. Um, so production is very cool because it gives you the idea of, okay, how can I use the items? How can I use the instruments to make the listener feel something? And what's BPM? BPM is beats per minute. And basically what, what that stands for is, okay, how fast or how slow is going to be a piece of music? Thank you. So how have you integrated technology into making music, especially at that young age? Um, I'm, I've been always into technology, and that's actually why I decided to start first engineering, because I think technology is a tool. So every single time I'm creating music or I'm recording what I do is I use technology as a tool to translate what my mind says. Um, it could be a microphone, it could be an interface, or it could be a software. So it, technology, the cool thing is that not only you have hardware, but you have software that can let you translate those ideas. Amazing. So you then pursued a sound engineering degree at the University of San Buenaventura. Were you a minority as a woman in that program? I was. So um, when I was studying sound engineering, we were like 60 and only three of us, of wow. us were women. Um, but in 2015, something that made me realize how the, the industry is was when I saw that there were like 800 engineers that were graduating from the school, but only 72 were women. Mm. Well, thank you for breaking the mold. And I'm teaching a university class right now in live concert promotion and plant. Maybe I should learn the name of the class, but it's basically like a live concert production class. And um, 100% of the students are women or non-binary. So you are definitely leading the charge. And it's just a reminder that um, when women and non-binary folks are in positions of leadership, that really shows the power of representation. Um, did you feel intimidated or prepared as really as, as, as a minority in your program? Like I'm, I'm throwing some bias in here cause I know you were a tennis player and, and I, I was an M an athlete. Did you feel a little more prepared with your athletic background? I did. Yeah. And yeah. why is that? Because it was, for me, it was, it was about my journey. Yeah. So I was like, yes, there's going to be obstacles. Um, but if I'm, if I know where I want to go, yeah. If I know my destiny and and I, I want to, um, and I know the tools that I have in my back, then it's okay. And and actually, um, I had like a lot of times I I will be in a studio and an artist will come and say, "Hey, where's the engineer?" And I will be like, "Oh, it's me." Mm-hmm. And they will be like, "No, no, no, I want a man." Wow. And and actually, that happened once. The, the, the people like the artists were like, oh, I want a man engineer. And I was like, mm. look, 
if I'm here, it's because I have the skills. So let's do something. Let's start the session. If you are like, okay, you don't know what you're doing, I will call my colleagues and, and, and I will call an engineer mm -hmm. just to stay here. So it was funny because after the session, um, I started tuning the vocals and everything and they were like, huh, she knows what she's doing. And, and the only thing I said was, look, not like it doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman, mm -hmm. like it's about the skills and the, and the experience behind. That's right. Yeah, I, I, you are changing that and things are changing, but I do think that your particular field of audio production and kind of production in general, there, there tends to be that sexism. So that's why there's so many great organizations out there, Women in Music, Girls Rock Camp, um, Amplify Her. Um, she knows tech. Yes. Yeah. yeah there, please. Sound girls. So she knows tech, sound girls, women in audio mission. Um, there's also Full Set House has um, an organization that is called Loud Ladies. Um, and, and also you'll find a lot of organizations around the world. Like if you're in Spain, then you have PI Audio. Mm -hmm. If you're in Colombia or Latin America, you have Sonora. I love that. And, you know, hopefully what we're saying um, is not intimidating to any women and non-binary folks looking um, to pursue audio engineering. But I can say as a manager and executive, I hear from artists all the time who would prefer a woman or non-binary sound engineer um, for, for touring. They're more comfortable with that. So y'all are in demand. So get out there and get those skills and uh, be like Anna. <laughs> so what led you to pursue an additional degree after that in contemporary music? And, you know, you chose voice as your first instrument. Um, so I had the skills like in the technical side, but I also knew I had a message that I wanted to translate and, and communicate. And I knew I was lacking a lot of the skills and the knowledge related to harmony and theory. And that's why I decided mm -hmm. to study music. But the reason why I chose, um, I chose voice, it was because yes, I, I do play different instruments, but I think voice, you like voice is is a multi-dimensional instrument you can create so much stuff with it you can make a person like if you get a choir you can create different instruments like percussive stuff um melodic motifs and that's the beauty of voice and and also because i wanted to to tell stories something that i i try to do with my music is tell stories talk about what people cannot or are afraid to talk about I love that. And it's such a good reminder that, you know, uh, vocals and voice is an instrument which can be improved, which needs to be taken care of. Um, you know, I had the pleasure, I, I, I used to be a tour manager and, you know, the artist I used to tour manage was very good about warming up her voice as well as warming it down. And I remember being in Japan once at the Fuji Rock Festival and I happened to be sitting kind of side stage. And if you know the band uh, Sigur Ross and those amazing vocals, um, I watched that guy warm up his voice and it's something I'll never forget. It's art. What you can do with the voice, it's, it's, it's just something different. When you take a, an instrument like a piano or a guitar, you tune it and you play a note and that's it. But with the voice, it's about the connection between your mind 
and also your vocal cords. Absolutely. So why did you come to the U.S. and choose Full Sail University for your master's degree? Well, I was working as an audio engineer and a producer. Um, I saw that I was lacking a part of the, the industry, mm. which was the business side. Um, not only because I wanted to understand how to make a living or how to monetize the art, because I, w- I knew how to do the craft, but also because you need to know how to protect your art and, and to protect your ideas. And um, there was a break point that I decided to do that because I was working with a, with a band. I did the whole production, the mixing, everything. And after I was done, they released the album. And when I saw the, the album, it said production and everything by the band. Wow. And for me, that was like, wait, hold on. This shouldn't be happening. But the thing is, I didn't have the knowledge to, to fight for it. Um, so that's when I, I was like, okay, how can I learn this? And I saw the master's degree. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's, it's funny because I was between two worlds. I was between getting a master's degree in performance mm-hmm. at Berkeley. And I was b- between getting the, the business master's at Full Sail. But I knew I needed the business side so then I can just impulse my side as an artist. And, and that's when I, I, I chose Full Sail. Now, the reason why I decided to go with Full Sail, it was because of the philosophy behind the school. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that you, you get the experience, like you, you get the knowledge by having your hands on experience, like world, world experience, it's something that is different than traditional schools. I come from a traditional educational background, but when I saw what Full Sail was doing, for me, it was like, hey, this is so cool. People go to Full Sail, they learn, they have their skills, they develop their, the, the, the skills, and then when they graduate, they have a portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was the other, the other part of understanding that you can be the smartest kid in town, but if nobody knows you, yeah. that's it. So something I love is, is that you need to network and Full Sail is so strong doing that. I love that. And I've had the pleasure of working with a lot of Full Sail students over the years and they're just always fantastic. So I'm really glad that, that you've had that experience. So how do you make sure you get um, your producer and engineering credits now, now that you've gone through that education and, and learned so much? I'm always, I'm always having agreements. Mm-hmm. I... I send the documents to people. I also created like a, when I'm doing mixing, not only I send the agreement, but also I, I made a mixing guide mm-hmm. and the mixing guide document, it says all the credits. So it says who's the producer, who's the engineer, who's the recorder, who's the artist, also the name of the song or the album. It says the, the speci- like the specifications for the, for the mixing. And then it says, hey, like the credits, have to be um, have to be put in the in the album. That is so smart, and something we've been talking a lot in this podcast about is communication. Right, communication yeah. is queen. You can't make assumptions about your production credits, about your engineering credits. So I think that's really smart that you have the list, and then it's crystal clear. And then the artist is is learning too if they're new new to that. Yeah, like having the splits, also the production, mm-hmm. like the production agreement. That's very important, and. I know, like, I understand that sometimes you're like, why? Like, I, I don't want the person feel bad 
or I don't want to talk about money or I don't want to talk about this or that. But the thing is, it, it's better when you talk before than after you're done. Yes. Yes. I just can't echo that enough. Talk about everything in advance, get on the same page before you hit the studio, not after the fact, not six months later. As we talked about, that can breed resentment and a lot of problems. So how do you balance your work? I mean, you do so much, you know, you're a producer, you're an audio engineer, you're an artist. Um, you know, how, how do you balance that work between in particular being an artist and a recording professional? I'm still learning, but I use a lot of discipline and I, and I use all the skills that I learned while, while I was in, in tennis, I went, while I was uh, um, playing tennis. Because I think if you don't have a balance, then it's going to be like, okay, I'm, I'm recording a lot, but then I'm just leaving behind my artistic side. Um, so I, I do that. I also have a lot of schedules and like a lot of time management tools but I'm still learning. What are some of the time management tools you use? Um, so I use Trello. I mm-hmm. use my phone with the with a calendar. I use the reminders, notes. I have my iPad, so I'm always like like writing stuff. That's what I I use. Oh, and also notation. I love it. It it, it works so so good. Because also like I can have like multiple file like multiple um, categories. So I have like an artist side. I have the product the production the engineer content creation because I'm also into content creation. So I have that. And and every single time I, I have a task, I know what that is going for. Mm-hmm. I love that. And. You know, finally, how do you find balance, you know, if you don't mind me asking, like with your personal life, right? Like because music can be so full on production is is so many hours. So what do you do to take breaks and take care of your mental health? Oh, that's that's super important. I'm actually like I'm always talking about mental health because I know where you can go when you don't have that balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and and something that helped me was therapy. Like I yeah. learned with therapy a lot of stuff, a lot of skills that will help, like that helped me when COVID came, mm. for example. I had so many plans. And that's something that you got to understand. When you have a plan, it doesn't mean that it's going to go that way. Yes. But it, but imp- the most important thing is like, okay, I wanted to go this way, but I have these tools. Um so what I normally do, I'm always like taking at least one day a week mm-hmm. just for myself. Um, it could be doing sports. It could be just going for a walk or it could be just staying home, listening to music, um, but not the normal music. Like I'm not being like analyzing the music. Mm-hmm. It could be just like reading while listening to music. Exactly. And, you know, you're so right about the pandemic and everything. You know, I remember um, I was speaking to a college class on Zoom right when the pandemic hit and a student's like, well, what if, you know, you're making all these plans as an artist manager or an artist and you have an album coming out and then there's a pandemic. And I always quote Scott Laguerre, who's a professor um, at Minnesota State Mankato, Um, you know, really pointing out, well, what happens when you're selling lots of CDs and vinyl and then Napster hits, right? So that's actually, you know, what being an entrepreneur is, being a musician is. It's like, okay, you know, if you planned a big tour and there's a pandemic, 
we shifted to webcasting and we're going to talk about that you know, later in the podcast. Um, and look, at, we wouldn't be sitting here now without the digital revolution, like I said before. So there actually um, are opportunities when things shift and change. You just have to adapt accordingly. So that's a really good point you yeah, bring up. And actually that happened to me when I when I started my, my master's degree, I came one week before COVID. Wow. I had so many plans. And the moment that like, we were told, okay, the country is closing. I was like, what am I going to do? I wanted to meet people. I, yeah. I wanted to be part of clubs. I, I wanted to do so much. But something that, that I understood was, okay, I cannot change what's happening. Yeah. Okay, what, so what can I do? What's the best that I can do with what I have? And that's why I started like, learning more about broadcasting, mm -hmm. learning more about, like I even started my own podcast and, and I was like, okay, how, how can I not only work on my plans, but also help people because I understood what it means to be alone or what it means to be like without whatever you wanted to do. That's exactly right. And one thing, you know, that did come out of the pandemic when it came to music business and the music industry is um, there was so much more access to conferences and guest speakers and information online, right? And it's allowed um, events like South by Southwest to really, you know, vegetarian beef up its, uh, its webcasting, right? Because it's so expensive to go to all these conferences, um, but now you have that much more access. So I actually, I lied. I have one more question before we dig in on how to record with or without a budget. Tell us about your setup at home because I see it on Instagram and it freaking blows my mind. Like Anna performed at I Voted Festival, which I founded and our amazing team of women plus Mike um, all produce. Um, but oh my gosh, like you had one of the, you had like multiple screens going on. So what do you have going on at home? Um, so it has changed a lot because when I, when I moved here, I had to leave behind all my studio. Mm. So I came with a bag, only my guitar, the, the small monitors, and that was all. Um, but right now it has been growing. So I have, I have different monitors. Um, I have actually a travel kit by iLoud, the iLoud micro monitors, those are really good because I'm always like, every single time I'm going to travel, I come with those. Um, and also I have a couple of microphones. <laughs> we'll get into that. And I have a big system for monitor. Um, those are eight inches. And also I, I love instruments. So you're going to see like, if you see my pictures, I have a djembe, I have percussive instruments, guitars, bass, a lot of stuff. Uh, and, and the reason why I do that is because I, I understand the colors of the instruments as well as the colors from the equipment. And, and that's something that you got to understand. Maybe this equipment, maybe this interface or this microphone can work for, for XYZ. But what if I want to have another color? So I'm, I have a couple of stuff. Can you tell us what you mean by colors, especially for a non- audiophile like me yeah because I don't think you mean painting literally no no um so every single device has has items inside has has a circuit and what that does it it, it creates different filters and in those filters um what it what they do they affect the signal so I could have two microphones 
different microphones and they will sound, maybe one will sound cooler and the other one will sound warmer. Um, and it's about what I want to, what I want to transmit. If I want to transmit nostalgia, then mm -hmm. I will use a microphone that is warmer. I love it. Thank you for that. Okay, so now we're going to dig in on today's topic of how to record with or without a budget. So, um, Anna, if you want to move over to the table. Oh, absolutely. With the wireless mic. <laughs> move that out of the way for you. So, as I mentioned, people often forget that, you know, you most likely have a smartphone, which means you have a computer and microphone in your pocket, right? So how can folks use a smartphone for demos or recording and what apps and software should they be using to do so? So when, so when you have a mic, um, an iPhone like mine um, or any smartphone, you can get the voice memos. That's the easiest and simplest way that you can record. Um, I'm always like getting ideas, recording with that, and then using the, the AirDrop and sending it to my computer. And then I will just have the DAW, which we were gonna talk about later, um, and start produ producing. Um, also, you can have interfaces that connect to your to your iPhone. Um, and that's, that's the simplest way. Now, for apps, Medley is a really good app. Also, SoundLab. Um, then you have, oh, you have FL Studio for the iPhone as well. Ableton has also um, an app for the, for the smartphone. You will find that there's a lot of apps. Now, there's apps that let you record only one track, and there's also other apps that let you record multi-track. Now, if you have an iPhone or any Apple device, GarageBand, that's the easiest way. <laughs> that, that got a fist pump from Ellen uh, rocking the camera back there. So get GarageBand. And, you know, again, even for a non-engineer like me, um, we interviewed Justin Vernon of Bon Iver in season one. And that's because I was interviewing Justin um, for my students at New York University. And I just did a voice memo recording for my own critique and feedback. That was not supposed to be a podcast episode. That hadn't even crossed my mind. He topped our guest speaker poll. So we had the privilege of, of interviewing him. And so I just, you know, through through my phone in the front row and did a voice memo. And when I listened back to it, I realized he perfectly brought chapter one together of get your art together. So I went back to his management and said, hey, I'm sorry to nest to record this. It really just was um, for me. Could I use this for a podcast episode? And they said, yes. Now it's, it's not probably the most like, you know, hi-fi, whatever recording, but I've never received a complaint about it, so. Oh, actually, if you have an iPhone and then you have the the old um, um, headphones, the ones that had the wire, just use that. That's that's very good when you're recording. Even, even if you want to um, um, create content and maybe you have your camera here and you have the other person on the other side of the room and you want to record good audio, use your use the microphone, like use your headphones, put it here, um, and you're going to have perfect audio. Such a good point. Thank you. So let's start with remixes. What is What equipment does one need to create re create remixes? Because I don't think it's, it's as much as, as I would think. So let's go with the simplest way, your phone. There you Medley, go. Medley, the, the app that I was talking about, use that. That's it. You can make a remix with that. You want to go with a more complex way? 
an iPad, maybe in more complex way, computer, or you want to do it as a DJ, get a controller. Some of the controls right now, actually, there's, there's a controller by Newmark that connects via Bluetooth with your phone or a device, and you can actually remix with that. Um, if you want to get uh, another controller, maybe Newmark Pioneer has, um, those are really cool. Now, you're going to find different softwares like Serato and Tractor. Those are the ones that you can use. But maybe you want to go more into the remix production side, then mm -hmm. use either an audio editor or a DAW. And the audio editor, it could be even Adobe Audition. That's a really good one. Um, you could get you could get GarageBand to do it. However, GarageBand, you will see that is between like it's the transition between the audio editor and the DAW. Now, if you want to go for a more complex way, then go go with Logic. Um, and we're going to talk about the AWS. Yes. And I believe, um, correct me if I'm wrong, you don't even, well, well we're going to get into recording interfaces, but you don't even need a recording interface to do remixes, it sounds like, right? You don't. You don't. Um, like normally the, the, the DJ controllers, they have an interface integrated. So you can, you can even record vocals or you can even record instruments using that. And I do want to give a shout out to my friend, Bobby Lord. He co-wrote this chapter with me. I'm sitting here like talking about recording interfaces. Like I know what I'm talking about, but he really did help me distill this information in all seriousness in a way that I do understand it. So, um, awesome. Well, you referenced DAW, which is a digital audio workstation. So what is a DAW and what, uh, digital audio workstations do you recommend? So as you said it, it stands for digital audio workstation. And basically, the, the easiest way to understand it is a word processor. Mm. So when you're writing something, you have letters, you have different lines, you have different tools that can process the, the words, right? Well, in audio, you have a software or a hardware. Back in the day, it was a hardware. Um, that it, what it will do, it will process digitally audio signals. Um, you will find the AWS that can have like uh, the editing part as well as um, instruments. Now you can see in, in like in the industry, you will find Logic, Cubase, um, FL Studio, Pro Tools, which is the standard, Ableton Live, um, Reason is another one. If you want to go with a with a very cheap one, uh, but it's a really good one. Um, chip doesn't mean bad. Um, <laughs> Reaper is a good mm -hmm. one because not only you can get the one, the paid version, but you can get a free version. So if you're just getting inside the industry and like inside production and trying stuff, Reaper is a good one. Um, Logic is the paid one, right? But you can use GarageBand. And the thing, the the cool thing about that is that you can be creating stuff in your phone or the iPad which is what I do. Normally I have ideas. I'm always with my iPad and my iPhone and maybe I don't have my computer. I start creating the stuff in GarageBand and then I send it to my computer and I use Logic. Amazing. So, you know, where we are in this process, like we've learned how to remix without a recording interface. You can record on a smartphone. Are there online recording resources that you would recommend for advice, really for all levels? 
absolutely. Well, the first thing, YouTube. You'll find a lot of stuff. Now, I I understand that YouTube can be overwhelmed mm -hmm. because you find so much stuff and it's not in a in a specific order. But there are some channels like um, Produce Like a Pro, uh, Produce Like a Boss by Chris Bradley. She's a really good producer. And she has something that is called Home Studio Boss. Um, they have a course and everything, and, and they explain everything, like, very organized. But once the fan also creates really cool tutorials. Um, if you want to learn about Ableton, um, there's a very good producer. Um, it's called um, Rachel K. Collier. She's really good, and she explains everything, not only for production, but for live. So if you want to perform live using Ableton, she's really good. And would you recommend, you know, I know it costs money, but that folks um, go to NAM, go to the NAM conference, the National Association of Music Merchants, which I've mentioned a few times because I've been there and I would think you uh, get to try a lot of this stuff too. Yeah, that's true. Now, there there are a lot of organizations that create um, content that, that can be resource, resourceful for you. Like Soundgirls does it. She knows tech does it. Women automation, they have courses. You can even go to the to the building and they will teach you. Wow. Um, also, the audio engineering society. The audio engineering society has has different courses. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff out there. I love that. Okay, so we're gonna get into headphones next. This might sound obvious to you all, but say like I'm making this stuff up as I go along. I'm learning how to record. Why does one need headphones when recording? Because it's like I'm just going to listen to it back and, you know, on my laptop or speakers and be like, oh, this sounds awesome. So why do you need headphones? Okay, so the first thing, the first concept that you have to learn about is bleeding. Uh, when you're recording, when you're tracking, you're going to have bleed. So if you're in the same room where you're recording the instrument, then that's going to be like the sound source is going to start bleeding into your ears and into the microphone. Um, maybe people are talking and you're recording a guitar. If you use those speakers from the computer, maybe you're not going to listen to that. So those artifacts, they're going to just skip the analyzing part. But if you have headphones, like a close back and headphones, you will be like, oh, look at this. There's some noise. I got to record again. Um, also sometimes you are mixing, right? Mm -hmm. And you find out like, oh, I was, this person was recording, but they didn't realize that maybe the necklace or the bracelets were making noises. Right. And, and that's, that's very important when you're tracking, understanding the artifacts and understanding the external noises that can be captured by the microphone. And that's when you can really hear it is when you have the yes. headphones on. So what headphones do you recommend and why? There's obviously like an infinite amount of options. So for this, there's another concept. I'm always talking about concepts because I don't want you guys to be like, oh, I want this headphone, this pair of headphones, or I want to have this device only because she said it. Mm -hmm. I want you to understand what's behind that. And the first thing is frequency response. So frequency response is the way that a device is going to respond in a in a in the frequency spectrum based on the on the system that it has. Um, and a simple way is maybe a device can can reproduce 
low-end frequencies, but maybe they are not as good with the high frequencies. For the headphones, it's important because sometimes you're like, oh, I want to become a DJ, right? Well, if you, have, if you have headphones that are more into the, like they have a boost in the low end, then that's going to help you a lot because you're, maybe you're um, mixing electronic music. Maybe you're mixing uh, reggaeton or urban music. What if I'm mixing? Well, you want to have a flat frequency response because you don't want to have a boost. So your understanding or your, the way that you see the, the music cannot be biased. And that's why you're, like the headphones that you're going to get, probably the best idea is they have a, a flat frequency response, such as like the Sennheiser, right? Um, let's, say, let's say you are going to use the, those headphones, and that's when we come to another concept, the, the back of the headphones or how the device is created. Do I want, do I want headphones are open back? Um, meaning this headphones, what they do is this back is open. So what it does, it lets you have a better stereo image. Um, mm -hmm. In other words, it lets you have not only the direct sound, but also the space, the environment. And that's really good when you're mixing. When you're tracking, you want to go, you want, you want to go for a back, uh, like a close back because you don't want to have the bleeding from the, the external side. If you, want to, um, if you want to go on stage, then you want to get some in-ears. Why? Because there's another concept, isolation. Sometimes when I'm on stage, I have so much bleeding and I want to isolate myself, not only because I don't want to hear what's happening in, in, like in externally, but also because I want to protect my ears. And that's very important. Please don't use headphones with the, with the volume very loud because then you're going to be in the industry working for 20 years or 15 years and you're going to be deaf. And the thing is, every single time when you're listening to music, the first, like, the first frequencies that you lose are the high frequencies. Um, so this, you can see this. This is an in-ear. And what this do, it, they isolate. Now, there are in-ears that are customized, which it has the shape of your ear canal, or you can have a general um, in-ear system. And you're talking about in-ear monitors for playing live, right? Yes, yeah. but they, also, they are also good for mixing or mastering. Mm -hmm. um, that's something that has been like a, a debate between the engineers. Should I mix or master using in-ears? Well, the thing with in-ears is that they can also be set up based on the frequency response when you get a, an ear test, a hearing test. So basically, you know how your ears are working, and the companies can, all, can actually set up your in-ears with that. And that's going to be very good because you're getting like a good audio. You're going you're gonna to get a good guide. And also, you're isolated. Now, there are headphones that they emulate, such as the Slay digital headphones. Those are really cool because you can use them and then be like, oh, this is how my song is going to sound like inside a Tesla. Or this is going to sound like, I don't know, in a, in a coffee shop. Um, so that's pretty cool. Now, there are different brands 
Bayer Dynamics, AKJ, Slay Digitalsen, Heiser, Sure has also good ones. Um, if you like, if you ask me, what do I have? I have the Sennheisers, but I also have the the Bayer Dynamics, and it's just because those headphones work good with me. Um, I have the 990, the DT990, and I also have the DT1990, which are different types of headphones. Now, the cool thing about headphones is that you buy one, you become the best friend of those headphones, and they're going to be with you all life. Mm -hmm. And I would guess uh, headphones also make sense if you're, if you're working and you have roommates or neighbors or any of the above. That's true. Maybe you need to mix and... Mm -hmm you cannot have a lot of uh, a lot of music like loud music in in your building well you can use headphones or what i do when i travel i don't i normally travel with my like a small monitor system or and i travel with my headphones i'm in a hotel i cannot make noise so i can mix with those that's right so you talked about different audio systems right like a car a coffee shop and it sounds like the next step would be monitor speakers. So what are monitor speakers in recording and when the, when should they be utilized? So another concept, transducer. Uh, what a transducer does, it takes an energy, a type of energy, and it transforms into another type of energy. So with the headphones, they take, um, and, and, the, and, the, and the speakers, they take electronic or electric energy, they transform it into acoustic energy. Um, and this is important because they do the same thing. Like you can get um, monitor speakers from Focal or, or IQ Multimedia or Yamaha. You have so much stuff out there, but if you understand what they are doing and you use the other concept that I just talked about, which is frequency response, well, you can go for one or the other. Let's say, um, let's say I'm mixing, right? I want to have a flat frequency response because I, I want to understand how my song or how my music is going to sound in the different, like in through the through the spectrum. So normally you're gonna you're gonna go for a monitor system that has a flat response, right? Or for mastering as well. But if I want to just produce and create music and I want to buy with it, then you will find that there's a lot of people using like big audio systems. Now, you're gonna find a lot of the KRK, the Rocket, those are really good ones because they have a boost in the low end. That's why whenever you're going to buy an audio system like a monitor or headphones, please go, go online and put the, the model and then put the frequency response. You're gonna see a graph and it's going to go from 20 to 20K um, hertz. And what it's going to give you is going to tell you, okay, how, how am I going to, um, or how, how, is the song, how is the audio going to be translated? And that's also going to work whenever you're mixing or mastering because maybe your, your, your production has a boost in the low end. And, well maybe the speakers don't have that and you keep putting the eq up and then whenever you go to the car you're like wait hold on what happened this doesn't sound the way i mm -hmm. I, I had it and i thought um so that's why you gotta understand those concepts um you will see well different models different references like the hs5 um 
the uh, the I the IK multimedia, the I love micro monitors. You'll find also the um, the KRK focal is also a good one. Tanoi is a good one. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Avanton. There's like there's also something that you gotta understand when you're mixing or you're producing. The way that you listen to the music, like the way that you're hearing um, to that stimulus inside your studio, doesn't mean that people are gonna listen to that like that. Because normally, you mix, you have like a really good system, and then a person is gonna use a, an iPhone or a phone, smartphone, to reproduce that. And you're gonna be like, wait, it doesn't translate. So the most important thing is you can choose any audio system, but please make sure that it's translating the right way into the commercial or the consumer side. That's great. So as we alluded to, to record, you're also gonna need a recording interface and microphone. So let's start with recording interfaces. What factors should someone take into consideration when deciding what, what kind of recording interface to work with? So you got to make sure... Um, and sorry to interrupt, what is a recording interface? Because you don't need it to remix, so... Okay. So a recording interface, what it does, it has preamps and it has an mm -hmm. amplificator, uh, an amplification system, and also it has a converter. So basically what it does, it converts analog into digital and then digital into analog. So... In other words, it's just a system that can let you translate or capture something that is coming from the microphone, then translating that into electric stuff. And then with the AD, um, it takes that energy, like that electric energy, into zeros and ones that are going to be read by the computer. Uh, now, I, I I know that 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 was like, wait, is, is that complex? That's great, yeah. yeah. Is that a good one? Okay, because the thing is, when you're going to buy an audio interface, you gotta think, what am I gonna do? The first thing, what am I gonna do? Am I gonna use this interface only to record? Am I gonna be using this interface to mix? Am I gonna be using this to master? Am I gonna be using this interface to stream, like to do streaming? Um, and also, what kind of equipment am I, I, I'm using with this interface? Am I using a microphone that maybe the impedance is too high? And what the impedance is, is just the resistance that it has, like the device has to let the signal come inside. Um, so let's say I wanna use a microphone like that, the, the SM7B, right? This type of microphones, because they are dynamic and also because of the system that is inside, the impedance is very, very high. And, and that's why when you buy an, an interface such as like um, the Focusrite, the, I, the 2i2, the red one, those interface, you're gonna see that the dynamic range is not, is not that big or it's not enough to move this microphone. Then the other thing is how many, like how many outputs do I wanna have? Am I gonna use this interface to record and I have, I don't know, an audio system that needs four or six outputs, am I going to use this interface also for um, live performance? Then I wanna have more outputs. So I can have like monitor stuff for the PA, which is the, 
the, the system that the audience is going to be hearing from? Um, or am I going to use this interface with plugins, right? That's another thing. You're gonna see that there's the universal audio that they are very well known because they have their own plugins. And that what that interface has compared to the other ones is that they have a DSP. What that is, is basically a processing device, processing part of the inside the interface that takes out a lot of the work that the computer does and it, it takes it by itself. So the computer, like your RAM and your, like your memory and all the resources that you have inside the computer, they are just free. So they can do the processing of other things, such as the like everything that you're doing in the DAW. Now, the other thing that you want to keep in mind is, am I going to connect this interface into a Mac or a PC? Or am I going to connect it to my phone, like such as this one? This interface is cool because I can connect this interface. This is the iRig Pro. I can connect it to my iPhone, but also I can connect it into my computer. Then you have something like this. Am I traveling? Well, this is the one that I travel with, which is the Evo. Um, this is the Evo 4, but they have the Evo 8 and they have other ones that, has, that have more outputs. Uh, outputs. Do I need a combo connector? What a combo connector means is that I have an XLR, but I also have a TRS here. Now, this one, this is the TRS, those, those are the outputs. Am I going to connect it into my monitor system or am I going to be using that with my headphones? Then the other thing is uh, what kind of inputs do I have, such as the XLR, the instrument, inputs, the instrument inputs, they have an impedance that is, is higher. So with instruments, you have passive and you have active instruments. And what that means is like, depending on the instrument, the resistance of the device is gonna be higher or lower, and then you're gonna need other stuff, such as just like an, um, an interface like this one that has a higher impedance, so I can connect my guitar into that one. Or do I need a, um, a DI, which is a box that takes the impedance and it, 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 it makes it higher so the connection between the two systems is easier. And, and finally is, do I wanna record stuff outside? So I can use something like this, something as the, as the Zoom. This one has four inputs, but also I can record it like this is a handheld recorder that can also be connected into my computer. Amazing. So a couple of things. Um, you mentioned dynamic mics. Can you explain what that, is, what that means? Yeah, so there are different types of, of microphones and based on the system that it has inside, it can be dynamic, condenser, tape microphones. They can also be shotgun microphones um, because they're like, there's one thing that is, the system or the way that the, the sound or the fluctuation of the, of the sound pressure is being um, captured. And then the other thing is the polar pattern. So a dynamic microphone, basically it's, it has a system that it moves when, when there's a sound, um, when there's a sound pressure fluctuation, such as this one. And something that you're gonna see is that dynamic microphones can 
capture stuff, can capture sound sources that have a louder um, volume. They are also more heavy than like than condenser microphones, and they are bigger. You will see you will see that there's a lot of people that they use the SM57s. Mm -hmm. Those are really good ones when you're recording percussive stuff, when you're recording um, voices. That's why for broadcasting you see you you see a lot. They you have the Shure SM7B, but also you'll find a lot the um, Electro Boys, the RE20. Those are really good ones. And then if, if you go to another side is the condenser microphones. So the condenser microphones, they are lighter. Um, and the thing with this is that basically think about, I, I have a paper, right? And the paper is going to move every single time the sound or, or the pressure is, is being creating a, a stimulus. So if I have a paper, then it's gonna boom, it's gonna move easier, and that's something that is called sensibility. Um, sensibility, and what that means is that the microphone or the system, the transducer, because those are also transducers, they are taking analog um, or acoustic energy and they are transforming that into electric energy. So what that means is, if my sensor, like if the um, if the microphone is more sensible, then I'm going to be able to capture more stuff rather with a, mi with a dynamic microphone that is going to make me have the preamp um, higher so they can capture the, the sound source. Fantastic. And you also referenced RAM, random access memory. So can you explain what that is and why you might want to get, I would assume you might want to get a little bit more for your computer when, when you are considering, as opposed to me, who's mostly just like writing emails and Slack and stuff. So when it's about computers, you have to keep in mind that there, that it's, um, it, it's kind of like a team F word. So not like, you can have the computer that has 64 gigabytes for RAM, and your computer doesn't have a good disk, like a solid state disk. Mm -hmm. And what that's gonna do is that the processing is not gonna go as uh, as fast. Now, with the computers and and like when you're working with audio, something that you have to keep in mind is the RAM is going to be working with the processing, like how how does the computer think about what they have to do, like the tasks, and then go back and write those tasks, you know? Um, if you have a hard drive that is not like a fast hard drive, then the time where it's writing and reading is gonna, is gonna be um, longer. So it's important not only having like a good RAM, like a high, um, like 64 or 16 or 24, but having a good um, hard drive. That's great. And you also mentioned DIs. What does DI stand for? So it's a di direct input box. And what it does is basically it, it has to um, circuits that they, what they do is just, they take the impedance, which is the resistance that is in the resistance that is inside the microphone or the, um, the instrument and it, it, put, it makes it higher or lower depending on the output that you're going to be connected to. 
That's great. And last question, and then we'll let you sit down again. With such a wide variety of options, where should one begin when deciding on what kind of microphone to use? Um, so the first thing is keep in mind, are you going to use an interface? Are you going to be using uh, a computer? Like there, there's something like this one. This is a USB microphone. And this one is pretty cool, actually. That when we were talking about the voice, I like this one because this is the Voclea. And what it does, I can record with this one and then translate the sound into MIDI and make, make um, an instrument. Now, there's a lot of stuff when microphones you can use. Like, you can go to Sweetwater or you can go to BH. I like Sweetwater because they have... And, and this is not a sponsor, but <laughs> but I like it because um, when you buy a device, when you buy a, a gear, you get two years of warranty without paying it. And and it's so cool because they have engineers, sales engineers that they actually take the time to talk to you. What are you? What are you gonna do with this? Um, I think that's not the right option for you. Why don't you go go with this one? So that's pretty cool. Um, there's there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of resources that you can use. Please, uh, I'm I'm not a friend on about buying microphones or gear with Amazon. I know we buy a lot of stuff on Amazon, but but the thing is, like, you don't know where they are coming from. Um, but yeah, that's great. Well, come on back. Let's talk about mixing. Thank you. Thanks for bringing all this stuff from South America. That's amazing. So. Okay, we've recorded, and now it's time to mix. So what is mixing? In simple words, um, it's just the way that the instruments are being balanced or are located into the stereophonic spectrum or the stereophonic image. What that means is, um, like a, a couple of decades ago, if you go back to the Beatles um, and, and see the, the Beatles the the Beatles records you're gonna see that there's some stuff that like maybe the drums are on the right side and the guitars are on the left side and then you have the bass and is is in the middle as well as the voice so it's understanding where am I going to place my source or my instrument um in in that stereophonic image or that quadraphonic image or maybe um, if you want to work with more channels and then the relationship between the levels um, or the volume that they have. Maybe I want to have the drums that are in the back and make it sound that they are like they are not on the first plane. So what I do is like think about mixing as you have a multidimensional box or uh, where you have stuff in the front, then in the back, then you have stuff on the sides, maybe um, in, a, in a higher place. So that's what I do with mixing. And that's what mixing is. It's just understanding the relationship between the, the sources uh, based on um, volume, yeah. on frequency, and then based on, on the placement. Yeah, that's certainly what I've learned. Um, there's like an infinite amount of things you can do in mixing, but they all relate to volume. Yeah. Very cool. So how does one create a technically proficient mix? Um, so the first thing is understand mixing 
from the side that mixing you you mix when you're recording mm. and i know there's a lot of people that don't know that but based on the recording like i can mix with my recording um because if you go to classical music and that's something i really i, I like to do because when you have a, a big format of instruments they they don't have microphones so they have to mix themselves right so they understand that if i'm if i'm louder than the violins then well, they are not going to be heard, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're mixing, the first thing is, okay, how can I place all my instruments so I can understand what they are all saying? Then there's another thing, which is the gain structure. And the gain structure, what it means is just the relationship between the, the floor and the, and the top end. So that's when we go to dynamic range. So dynamic range is basically... How like how loud can a source go and how low can a source go? Um, but understanding like if, like if I'm listening to a song and I have a piano that is that goes very low and then goes very high, I need to understand how the listener is going to react with those fluctuations. Very cool. So mixing is also extremely creative, though. Once you've figured out, you know, making sure your mix is technically proficient. So what are some ways to explore mixing in, in creative ways? Um, you can use EQs. You can, that's, that's the easiest way. EQs are just filters. Mm -hmm. I can make a person think that is inside a telephone. Um, and just by using, just, just by using EQs, I can also use, so there's, there's this different uh, processing um, structures. So you have processing um process like processing circuits that they affect the instrument or the sound source based on frequency and then there are others that that are going to work with time um so if we go with the frequency ones then we have the eq uh we have filters um but if we go with the with the time ones then we have reverbs we have echoes um, echoes, um, we have delays. Those are kind of the processing stuff that you, you can use when you're mixing. Now there's, there's also different plugins that you can use mm -hmm. that they emul emulate, um, the way that, that a sound source is going to sound inside an environment such as the altiverb. Mm -hmm. Um, there are also, there's also another way um, to process the signal based on the on the transient, the transient, which is the way that the the sensors is going to um, make it like is going to sound based on the impact. So I can I can record a snare, right? And the snare is an impact. It's an impact stimulus. If I change my transient and I use a um, an ADSR which has an envelope that may, basically what it does, it just takes this um, a stimulus that is, um, that is right away, like it, it works right away, and it, it just makes a curve, it's going to sound different. Those are the kind of things that you can use. Very cool. And what, what resources are available for people to learn more and expand their thinking on mixing approaches and techniques? Mixed with the masters. She knows tech has also really cool stuff. Um, Chris Bradley with Home Studio Boss, they, they talk a lot about mixing. Um, master classes also. Now, if you don't have... The thing with 
with like learning stuff, um, it doesn't have to be, um, it, it doesn't have to depend on, on the, the money that you have. Sometimes you don't have money. Okay, use YouTube, but also there are really cool places like edx.org or Coursera that you can use. Um, Berkeley has courses that they're about produ production, about music, and you don't have to pay anything. Mm. Um, like I, online courses, right? Online yeah, courses, yeah. yeah. Cool. Now, if we go to to a more physical and uh, like a like a traditional hybrid education. Then you have schools such as Full Sail, Berkeley. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like like there's so, so much stuff. Um, the Audio Engineering Society also has, uh, like if you're a student, that's really cool. Because if you're a student, you can actually have a membership that you get access to courses that they create. And those courses are, are all made by Audio Engineers. Fantastic. Okay, so you've mixed your music. Now we are going to move on to mastering, which I think there's a lot of confusion. I know there's a lot of confusion um, about. So first, what is mastering? Okay, so to understand master, I think we have to understand where where the con the concept comes mm -hmm. from. So master comes from back in the day when the song was already mixed, they will use... Um, they will take the, the song and they will master it, like they will transmit it into the, the LP, the vinyl. And that vinyl was called the master. So what I, what I was doing, like what, what the industry was doing is they take the electric information and they put it into an analog information. Um, and with the digitalization of the, of the industry, they had to understand, okay, that master was just to get ready the record to be distributed. Mm -hmm. Now, what am I going to do if I'm in a digital world? Well, that's when mastering as a digital form came as just getting the, the record ready to be distributed. That means having a standard of volume. Um, there's, there's a standard, which is the EVU-128. That's, a, that's one of the standards that they like mastering engineers use. So basically what I'm doing is I'm taking my song or my record and I'm getting ready based on the industry standards for, for volume. So there are some that are for Spotify. There are some that are for Tidal. There are some that are for broadcasting. Maybe I want to I wanna send my song, for example, um, for sync placement. Mm -hmm. Well, they have a different standard, not only for volume, but also for format. So with mastering, I also keep in mind what's the format that I'm going to use. What's the sample rate? What's the, deep, uh, the beat depth? Um, am I going to be, am I going to be distributing my song or my record in a CD form? Then I'm going to be using 44.1 and 16 bits. And what if I record that record um, in a in a higher sample rate, then I have to to do uh, something that is called deter. Mm -hmm. And what it does is whenever I'm down, like I'm taking the sampling down, um, I have to I have to put or like I have to mix it with a with a noise with a white noise. And what does that? It takes out the the artifacts that are be, being created by the processing. Then 
what if I'm what if I'm recording something and I want to create a video for YouTube, then I'm going to be using 48 of 24. But what if I'm going to be using the same thing for movies? Then movies uh, are normally 96, 32. Now, the bit depth, you're going to see that there's different ones. And the bit depth, the, the easiest way to understand it is the dynamic range that the song has. So basically, how low and how high I can go. And what that does is, based, based on the dynamic range, I can make the song breathe more or less. Let's say I'm recording um, reggae or I'm recording something that is tropical, then I want to have a higher dynamic range because I want people to understand or, or feel that they are breathing. Um, classical music, you want to have a higher dynamic range because you have, maybe you have a motif, a melodic motif that they start with the piano and the violins. And then I go into a big format and a complex format where I have the whole orchestra. So I, I don't want to have my song creating distortion. Um, and, and, and I, like, I understand that there are some things that you're like, I don't understand what mastering means, but it means, okay, how can I get the record ready? So the listener can have the best, um, perspective or the best experience by listening to my record. That's incredible. And also a lot of information. So what options are available for online mastering or kind of auto mastering? So you don't have to think, okay, well, what if it gets synced or this is for Spotify or this is for radio? Um, Landry, but, yeah. but there's, there's different ones. Now, Landry is one, um, club mastering is another one, but also I, I think that all of us should understand how to master mm -hmm. at least the basic, because what they do, what, what some of those, um, websites do, they take some of them, they, they do it as an algorithm that is the one that is mastering. So what they do is they take the dynamic range, think about a, a picture, right? And the picture is like this, like sound waves. And maybe in the middle, the sound wave is not that, that high. And then the other one goes lower. So what they do is the, they just try to make the picture look like as flat as it can. And, and what they're doing is just they're taking the volume down. Um, but if you understand the concept, then you can take something like Ozone by, by Isotope. Like Isotope, they have the, um, the Isotope, um, the Elements Suite, which is Isotope, um, Ozone. They have the RX which is the one that you use for restoration or fix whenever you're recording something and you want to take out the vocals or you want to take out some, some of the bleeding. Um, and if you take Ozone and, and Neutron, which is the other tool from Isotope, you can master your stuff. And, and the cool thing is, yes, you're, you're, not, like, you're not doing the whole work, but you are having decisions you're you're having that opportunity to make the decision mm -hmm. based on a reference so the cool thing with ozone is that you take ozone you put a reference please don't uh when whenever you're mastering with references don't download the song from youtube mm. because that's gonna be compressed and what compression does basically it, think about a box and i want to put a paper on top of the box or inside the box 
so based on the format that I'm that I'm working with, if I'm using um, uh, a WAV format or a um, or a format that doesn't have um, that doesn't lose information, what I'm doing is I'm just folding the paper so it can fit inside the box. But if I'm using a um, um, that's when I use looseless formats. But what if I'm using an MP3? What the MP3 does, I put the, the paper on top of the box and I, then I start cutting the paper so it fits inside the box. And I'm losing information that is maybe below 20 hertz. And then um, um, after 18, between 18 and 20,000 hertz. So I'm losing that information. And people don't think that that's important, but it's, it's, it's significant because those frequencies, yes, your ear doesn't doesn't hear them, right? But your body feels them. So if you take those those frequencies, then you're not having the best experience. So when you use ozone, down like buy the song, you will be like you will be working with the artist. You're like you're supporting their art, but also you can use that because that's the that's the masters the master that got out of the studio. So you will have the perfect reference and you put it inside of a zone, you put your song and then what it does, the algorithm, it analyzes the, the, the master and it tries to like emulate the color one and then the pressure of, the, of, your, of your record. That's great. And for what it's worth, I can vouch for Isotope and Isotope um, RX because we used that software on the I Voted podcast and I know it made um, our engineers' life a lot easier. So yeah. yay for that. Um, so I know you can master online for like 20 bucks, uh, you know, with some of the options you mentioned, but when should one consider hiring a professional mastering engineer? If you want to distribute and, and you're you're ready to go, like, go all in with your with your art Mm. it's like i have a painting right and i work so hard to make it come true and the only thing i have to do is just frame it that's that's the best way to understanding um if i have a a frame that is not like it's like eh, like it's not it's a simple frame it's just working well i'm like well all this work we're just it, it was just gone but what if I have a really nice frame? Well, my painting is gonna is gonna is gonna look like a piece of art, and it is a piece of art. So I think if you are going all in into your art and you want to have the best representation of what you are as an artist and as a creator, please take take a little money and and go for a mastering engineer. Because also mastering sometimes just because of the 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 different websites it has just been diminished mm-hmm. like the 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 meaning and the process but mastering it is an art like a mastering engineer not only takes the song into the standard but they also look at the picture so when you when you are an artist you create an art and it goes to this level level right and then the the mixing engineer they take it she or he or they take the the level to this part. Now the mastering engineer, they take it to this level. So also it's another pair of of ears that have a different background that understand what the industry is asking for. And 
And that is important. Do you, you know, what if creatively and technically though, you're good with your mix, you know, do you always need to master? What if it's more of a lo-fi sound? I do. Like I'm a mastering engineer as well. And Mm. a mixing engineer. Like I do recording, mixing and mastering. And something I do, and I can tell you, I don't master my stuff. I get another person to master. Yeah. When I'm mixing, I never master. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the only thing I'm going to do, I'm going to be biased because of a, a concept that is called psychoacoustics. And what that means is just the, rela- like the, the reaction of my brain based on a stimulus that is inside an environment. So what happens is if I master what I mix, then the only thing I'm doing is I'm just putting the volume up. That's it. And I'm just getting the format ready to, to distribute. But if I get another pair of ears, then my song is going to go to a higher level. And that's what I want to do. Um, so, so, so I think it's, it's very important to do that. Please don't like don't produce master and like don't produce mix and master because then your your art is just gonna sound the same, just higher in volume. Yeah, that's great. And even if you have all the money in the world to go hire the greatest engineers and, and greatest producers, I mean, feel free to disagree with me, but you know, the more that you learn on your own, the more prepared you will be in professional recording situations at all levels. Would you agree or disagree with that? 100%. That's me. Like (laughs) I I wanted to understand how to record. I wanted to understand how to produce. I wanted to understand how to mix and master and then distribute and then the business. Like I I think if if there was a career that was professional learner, I will have that. (laughs) But but the thing is, just because you understand everything doesn't mean that you have to do everything yourself. The, the power here, if you know the different process, like the different step, steps in the process, is that you can sit down with a mastering engineer or a mixing or any, like any person that isn't in, in that role and say, hey, this is what I want to do. Because you have the concepts, you have the knowledge, you have the skills, and, and then you can just take your art into another level. Um, understand everything it, it like having the skills if you know how to master that's amazing because maybe some maybe today you don't have the money so you can do it by yourself and your art is going to sound great but then tomorrow you're going to have the money to get another person and that's another color that you can add and for me the industry is like a like a like a like a painting uh, like every single skill that I'm getting is just a color that I'm using to paint my art. It's like a puzzle. Every single person is a, is a piece of, of, the, of the puzzle. So every single time I put a piece and then I look back, I say, hey, this is a nice view. So true. I mean, how do, how do you continue to expand your education and knowledge of recording? I'm always taking courses online. I'm always like being like, oh, this is a new, like a new program. I want to go there. Um, look, even if you go to every single plugin or equipment brand website, you will see a lot of stuff. Like Bayer Dynamics, they have a lot of resources about recording. Um, they have a lot of resources about measuring, you know, 
um, that's something that you you should learn. How can I use um, a measuring microphone to check what's the how's my system working? You can go online and you can learn that. Um, SoundWorks also has a lot of cool stuff about um, about measuring. If you go, yeah, YouTube. I'm always on YouTube. I'm always oh, actually. You know that is funny, but I never thought that I will learn so much on TikTok. Mm. And I learned a lot on TikTok. I've seen like very cool, like um, like processing stuff. And I will be like, oh, that's so cool. I didn't know about that plugin. And then I will go to the website and then I will find all the tutorials. And, and I'm like, this is cool. So TikTok, I know it takes a lot of time. But if you know, if you understand how to use the tools, the world is going to open up so, so much. That's great. Just a couple questions on live, and then I want to open it up to the audience. So we referenced in-ear monitors. What are in-ear monitors, you know, when performing live, and when should an artist consider them? So an, an in-ear monitor, what it does, it just gets inside your ear canal, and what it does, it just it takes the distance between your ear and the, and the speaker shorter. Um, so a good thing about that is that you get more isolation. So you have also customized in-ears and you have uh, normal in-ears or general in-ears. And, and the cool thing about customized in-ears is that they have the same, like they have the shape of your ear canal. So you will get a higher isolation level, maybe 25 or 35 dBs. And, and then the other, the other thing is like, they can be set up based on your frequency response. So please, every single time, try at least having a hearing test every six months. If you are in this industry, um, your ears are going to be affected. Like I, I try to do that. It's funny how um, I think I started like more than 10 years ago and I see my, my hearing test now and, and 10 years ago and I, I, I haven't lost anything. Mm. Why? Because I'm always using ear protectors and I'm always, and, and every single time I'm on stage, I'm always using in-ears. Now, when should you use in-ears? I will think if you're in a, in a setup that is very loud, use in-ears. Why? Because it's going to give you the isolation that you need so you can protect your ears, but also because it's going to give you the best monitor system. If you're a singer that works a lot, so instead of having the, the monitors on the floor and, and having the bleeding, like the bleed from the different instruments, you can just get it there. And you can also like set up the, the volume. Um, they, and there are different different um, tools that you can use actually because the in-ears and the monitor system doesn't mean only the in-ears, like the, 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 head, like the, the headphones that you're using but also the system to reproduce and send that information. And there's, there's one that is pretty cool. Like if you don't, if you are under a budget, um, there's ones that are, that are called the X4. Those are on Amazon and the Sweetwater as well. And those are like $180, but it's pretty cool because you can connect it into your phone um, and then you can set up everything. So please believe me, when you take in years on stage, that's gonna make a difference. Now, there's a there's a secret that um, life engineers do. I used to do it because I was also a life engineer. So something that artists say a lot 
is, okay, I'm using any ears, but I can't, like, I'm not being able to see or hear what the, what the audience is saying. So what normally um, engineers do, they put two microphones in a, in a stereophonic technique, which is the, or the, um, it, it could be the, the AB technique, which is two microphones, the same microphones, one on, on the left side and one on the right side, one on the right side and one on the left side. And that gives you a stereophonic image, but also you can use the ORTF technique, which is two microphones like this. And you can use an extension bar. Um, like it's, it's, it's a bar that you put it on the, um, on the microphone stand and you can have two microphones connected there. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that the piece on the yes. way over there? Okay. Um, and, and, and that's a good way because you're going to be, you're going to be good. You have yeah. the environment, um, a stimulus, like the environment sound and you have protection and you can be like, Oh, I, I want to, I want to know what people are saying, yeah. but I don't want to be overwhelmed. Um, so that, that's a good tip there. That's great. And do you have an in-ears uh, discount code to share with everyone? Yes. So I've been using exclusive ears, um, um, in-ears for, for the past six, six years. And it's pretty cool because I'm saying I, you get the hearing test and they set up the, the frequency response based on your frequency, on, on how your ears are working. So if you go to the website, which is exclusiveears.com, and you you get like you're gonna get twenty percent um, off on any reference. Just type ex twenty five zero two, and that's that's for all of you. They're really cool. They have different references that that is based on the isolation, also the the vias that you have. Maybe you have different speakers. You have a tweeter because also monitors have that the vias, which means okay, I have a woofer that is going to be working with the low end frequencies, but then I have a Twitter that is going to have the, um, the high frequencies. Maybe you have two, maybe you have three or you have four. And that means that you are going to have a, like a, a flatter frequency response in your system. That's great. Uh, one last question before we open it up to audience questions. I feel like, and I'll talk about this more in later episodes, but a major missing revenue stream for artists is recording their own shows. Even if you put it up on your website for donation or subscription, that's something that artists will technically couldn't do in the pre-digital era and also legally couldn't do because you would have to be signed to a label to distribute music and they would block you from recording your own shows because they didn't want it to compete with the vinyl or, or CD or whatever. So, I mean, the jam community does that very well, but we'll, we'll talk about that more in future episodes. But, you know, for those who are interested in pursuing that, what is the best and easiest way for artists to record their own shows? So the easiest way... Normally, when you have a show, you have a mixer, right? But you're like, okay, how can I, how can I send the, the, the output from the mixer into my phone or into the computer? Um, you can use either a digital mixer. There's one that I actually moved a lot with it. I have um, the big mixer because I used to record the Philharmonic. So I had like a 32-channel digital mixer, which is a rack, and, that, and it's easy to travel with. Um, and that one you can connect into, into your computer. But something that I started doing was, okay, instead of moving my mixer and like taking a lot of stuff with me, I just go to a place 
and I have a normal mixer and then I get the IQ Multimedia iRig Pro. I have the output, the stereo output, and there you go. You can connect it into your computer. You have an output, uh, an, an stereo input, and also you can connect it into your, com into your phone. So that's what I use a lot when I want to perform and I want to stream using TikTok or Instagram. I use that. And you have a studio audio and you have video. That's great. Well, thank you, Anna. I mean, amazing. Um, does anyone in the audience or online have any questions for Anna? EX2502. Love it. And that was for exclusive ears? Exclusive ears. Very cool. Well, Anna, thank you so much for your time today, your knowledge, your insight, and coming all the way from South America to be with us today. It means so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, really. I, I, had, I was so excited because <laughs> I, I, I love to share the knowledge because I, I know that there's so much stuff out there, but when you understand it with analogies and you can see it, mm -hmm. like I see every single time I'm talking about a concept, I see it. And, and I love to, to understand, like to make people understand that it's not equipment because it's not. It's about what you do with equipment. And if you understand how to use it, you're going to take this to an, into another level. I love it. Well, thank, let's, let's thank Anna, everyone. Thank you. We hope you enjoy Milwaukee. Um, we'll have you exit real quick. I just have a couple comments to, to wrap up. Um, so I feel like when you hit the mastering, um, part of your timeline in recording, that's a good time to start thinking about artwork for your music, because I've definitely worked with artists, um, that it is far from their first rodeo. They could be like 50 years old and it gets, you know, towards, you know, getting closer to release day, release day. And they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't think about artwork. Right. So I just, as we're going along in this methodical order, I just want to put in your brain to think about artwork. And, and I feel like when you're starting to master, okay, you know, like you've made it through the recording process now, now is the time to start recording on artwork. So I hope you enjoyed how to, how to record with or without a budget. Join us on Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern, where we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics. Music publishing isn't scary or confusing, plus how to land a sync placement. My goal is for you to walk out of that session knowing what music publishing is, being able to define it in a very clear way, and understanding how to collect all the money that is owed to you for it, because that is the number one missing revenue stream I see in artists of all ages and all levels. So thanks again to Anna Ochoa. Thanks to you all. Thanks to everyone who tuned in on volume and we'll see you on Tuesday. <laughs>